0: Frontline support when extreme weather strikes. We have always continued to respond
1: to conflicts, but we also respond as national societies, 192 of them, to natural
0: disasters. How we can all play a part in reducing climate change.
2: If people are needing to replace their boiler, they replace it with a heat pump. Make that a choice, the affordable choice.
0: And early attempts to provide coastal weather warnings.
3: The instrument stands around a metre high the hardwood and brass case tapers upwards with the main stem housing a substantial mercury thermometer.
0: It's Friday, the 8th of April, and you're listening to Weather Snap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Alex Deakin and this is WeatherSnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather headlines. Whilst parts of Scotland have experienced snow and ice this week, UK weather has been pretty benign of late. Skip back to February, however, and many communities, not for the first time, were hit by severe flooding. This mirrors events from two years ago, when February 2020 became the wettest February on record. And extreme weather events aren't confined to the UK. Sydney, in Australia, has already exceeded its annual average rainfall and is currently around 200 millimetres above the previous record for this time of year. As scientists continue to investigate the links between climate change and extreme weather, how do communities cope and prepare for events such as these? One organisation providing supports both here and abroad is the British Red Cross. Richard Blewett is Executive Director of International and explains how extreme weather is an increasing area of activity.
1: The Red Cross was founded in 1863, really on the battlefield at a place called Solferino in Italy and that was sort of taking care of war wounded, which is of course what we're now doing in Ukraine today. But obviously, a lot of things have come to pass. You know, we have obviously always continued to respond to conflicts, but we also respond as national societies, 192 of them, to natural disasters. And what we have to do as the Red Cross, a Red Crescent, is advocate for change to try and mitigate the climate crisis, and you know, get action on mitigation at a scale that will reduce the threat to the planet and to the people that we're there to serve. So it's a very big agenda for the Red Cross to both be vocal. We were part of 40 events at the COP in Glasgow where climate issues were being debated by governments and other civic actors. But also, because we see on the ground the impacts, we know that much more needs to be done to accompany communities to deal with building their resilience for the future.
0: Nowhere is completely free of the risk of extreme weather, But some countries are more susceptible than others, and resilience comes in many forms.
1: In terms of our work overseas in addressing extreme weather events, obviously one of the major things we do is continue to respond with our national societies. From the Bangladesh Red Crescent to the Vietnamese Red Cross, we're responding. But we're doing other things. We're working hard with national societies to strengthen communities and their resilience, and that means new ways of earning money to basically mitigate the effects of these extreme weather events on farmers. New climate smart farming techniques you know that are simple ways in which they can have more resilience of their crops to deal with the more unpredictable weather patterns that they're facing. And then providing some sort of support in financial training how to look after their money but also how to find alternate income sources so moving from let's say being a farmer only but also to let's say running a water taxi in bangladesh you know finding alternate income sources as farming becomes less reliable for the people that the national society
0: serve for many countries Building resilience and preparing people for extreme weather comes down to simply sharing information.
1: One of the things in the last ten years the Red Cross has learnt in its work with communities and with Met offices around the world is to do more on anticipation. If you've got information that a flood is coming, that a drought is going to affect a community, some of these events you're able to foresee better with the science that comes from the Met offices. We link the Met offices to communities, essentially, and that enables communities to make wise decisions on evacuation and reduce the threat to their lives, but also protect and preserve some of their livelihood assets. They can move their animals or they can move some of the documents that they have to safer places before the actual event hits.
0: In the UK, the Red Cross plays a vital role for those hit by storm events or floods, getting people to places of safety and providing practical as well as emotional support. And once again, information is key. Last year we responded in 2021 to
1: 130 incidents around flooding and extreme weather events. Uh, We also co-sponsored some research with the Met Office on heat waves. Because we know heat waves, if they're not properly responded to, they can really end up with a lot of higher mortality, and we know the UK is already experiencing and will experience in the future more heat waves. So gradually, as a national society in the UK, we're becoming again, more climate literate. We're working out what can we do to support communities to deal with adaptation? Uh, to protect themselves from the worst effects of floods, to be aware of the risks so that they can respond early and mitigate some of the worst effects uh, on the communities that we're there to serve. So we're in this process at the moment of really building our ideas to how we can do more work on resilience
0: in the UK. Richard Blewitt, Executive Director of International with the British Red Cross. You can learn more about the British Red Cross and how you can support their work by visiting... The impacts of climate change, including extreme weather events, are the subject of a report released this week by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC. The IPCC is the United Nations body responsible for assessing current climate science. So, What do scientists themselves make of this latest report? Climate correspondent Graham Madge talked to three of them right here at the Met Office.
4: The IPCC report released this week focuses on mitigation, and in particular what can be done to avert the worst impacts of climate change by slowing the rate of greenhouse gas emissions. The reason? To limit temperature rise. Here's Head of Climate Services Professor Jason Lowe. The Paris Agreement requires us to limit warming to well below two degrees of temperature increase relative to pre-industrial and ideally to limit warming below 1.5 degrees. What we know is that each fraction of a degree of extra warming commits us to extra impacts. So there isn't a threshold at 1.5 or 2 degrees. It's that as we increase the temperature, the impacts become bigger. The new IPCC report shows that there are a range of pathways that can limit warming to below 2 degrees and actually below 1.5 degrees. Some of those pathways involve an overshoot going to higher warming levels during the century before recovering back below 1.5 degrees at the end of the century. Temperature overshoot where the climate warms by more than one and a half degrees above pre-industrial levels could have profound environmental effects. Head of Earth System and Mitigation Science, Andy Wiltshire. We expect extremes to increase, so they're the kind of things we experience in our everyday lives, like summer heatwaves, that kind of thing. But there are
0: actually more deciduous kind of impacts. So, for instance, Arctic sea ice, we expect above 1.5 to largely reduce, and that's going to have huge implications for wildlife in the Arctic's. We also expect that to affect sea level rise. So sea level rise is related to the total amount of warming. So by overshooting, we have extra warmth in the oceans, and that means the seas will be slightly higher by 2100 than if we hadn't overshot.
4: With so much at stake, is limiting one and a half degrees of warming by the end of the century still feasible? I think it is still feasible to hit
0: 1.5 by the end of the century, Um, but it really is about this urgent action. The more we overshoot, the more we're dependent on technology that involves sucking the CO2 out of the atmosphere, whether that's by plants or technology which directly captures the CO2 from the atmosphere. So it is still feasible, but it does require some extra dependencies on technology that we haven't yet proven
4: at scale. Effective and widespread carbon capture that's pulling carbon dioxide out of the air or emissions and locking it away may take many years to perfect at scale and would require global collaboration. For now, avoiding or limiting temperature overshoot relies on the actions of individuals. Here's science manager Camilla Matheson of the Met Office Hadley Centre.
2: It's a collective responsibility to help reduce emissions and understand what we need to do and how we need to change. And that will take some very difficult decisions by everybody and a complete change of lifestyle. So trying to reduce our consumption is hugely important. Trying to change what we eat, how we lead our lives. So not driving everywhere. Um, I think these are really crucial things that everybody can do.
4: For Camilla, the key to living more climate-friendly lifestyles lies in having viable alternatives.
2: I guess I'm putting the onus on people. There's also an onus on policymakers to make it easy for people to make the right choices and green choices. So if people are needing to replace their boiler, they replace it with a heat pump. Make that a choice, the affordable choice. So I think the changes are needed at every level in order to be able to see the temperatures come back down.
0: Camilla Matheson ending that report by Graham Madge. As many of us begin to enjoy the mixed blessings of school Easter holidays, what can we expect weather-wise as we
5: head into the weekend and beyond? Ada McGiven has the details. We've seen some big swings in temperature this spring so far and uh, the next few days continue that theme. Certainly a chilly start to the weekend with a widespread frost on Saturday morning, some icy patches around as well, especially in the north. And then for many it's a dry and bright day with sunny spells for the vast majority but there will be further showers forming, especially in the north and these will be of a wintry flavour. So a mix of rain, sleet, hail at lower levels, snow over hills. Those showers ease away into Saturday night and then with clear skies widely, it's another frosty start to Sunday. But despite the chill, actually Sunday looks like a fine day for many. Again, plenty of dry and bright weather. I think through the day there'll be an increase in the cloud from the west, certainly across Northern Ireland and Western Scotland where that cloud will be thick enough to give a few spots of rain later in the day. But for the vast majority, it stays dry and it will feel a little milder compared to recent days, with temperatures touching 14 Celsius in the south, 10 or 11 further north. Into Monday, the cloud thickens further. There'll be some outbreaks of rain for parts of Scotland, Western England, Wales and Northern Ireland. This will be on and off, quite sporadic, and for many further east and south, it will be drier and brighter and milder, with temperatures potentially reaching the high teens.
0: Aidan McGiven. Extreme weather is not a new phenomenon and 150 years ago, severe storms posed a grave risk to those who depended on the sea to make a living. In the first of a new series exploring the National Meteorological Library and Archive, we hear about a device designed to give advance warning to coastal communities.
3: Fitzroy Storm Barometer, 1875. This is a storm barometer made by Negretti and Zambra of London and designed by Admiral Robert Fitzroy, the founder of the Met Office. The instrument stands around a metre high. The hardwood and brass case tapers upwards, with the main stem housing a substantial mercury thermometer. The top section reveals a barometer gauge with a classic 19th century text marked clearly onto a white background. Fitzroy established a storm warning service for the major UK ports in 1861, but he knew that his warnings couldn't reach the smaller ports. To help save more lives, especially among the fishing communities, he designed a special barometer which would be easy to read and interpret. The text and poem printed at the top would allow anyone to understand how the rise and fall of the mercury in the barometer could be used to warn of poor weather. Fitzroy believed so passionately in the importance of providing these barometers to smaller communities that he spent a significant quantity of his own money supplying them. Today a few are still in their original locations, for example Mousel in Cornwall and Stromness in Orkney.
0: Dr Catherine Ross of the National Meteorological Library and Archive. And if you'd like to see a picture of Fitzroy's barometer, together with other meteorological objects of note, head over to the archive website at metoffice.gov.uk forward slash research. Just before we go... Martin Bowles has last week's highs and lows. Here are last week's extremes, measured between Monday 28th March and Sunday 3rd April. The highest temperature of the week was 18.7 degrees Celsius at Port Maddock on the North Wales coast. A very cold Arctic maritime air mass moved into the UK towards the end of the week. A few observation stations in England and Wales recorded their lowest ever April temperatures. The lowest temperature of all though was in the Highlands of Scotland. Minus 8.0 degrees was recorded at Tulloch Bridge in the early hours of Friday morning. The largest daily rainfall was also recorded in the Highlands. 22.0 millimetres was measured at Reserlac on Sunday. The sunniest place was the Isle of Tyree off the west coast of Scotland. 12.0 hours was measured on Wednesday. Thanks Martin. That's it for Weather Snap. I'm Alex Deakin, and the producer was Adrian Holloway.
2: Weather Snap is a podcast by the UK Met Office. For the latest weather conditions where you are, download the Met
3: Office Weather App.